Hello and welcome to the Industry Leaders Podcast, where we talk to the leaders of some of the most exciting retail and direct brands and learn the real stories behind their success, their challenges and their plans for the future. I'm Sarah Goboyle and this podcast is brought to you by More2, the marketing science people. My guest this week is Ian Watson, CEO of Hotter Shoes. Now, it has been a huge year for Hotter, a business that went into the COVID pandemic with a lot of stores and a large physical footprint, but which has emerged as a real digital first business. They've also recently announced that Hotter will float in the AIM market later this year, and they've just been nominated for four Draper's Footwear Awards. Ian, uh, I'm amazed that you had time to come on to the Industry Leaders podcast. Um, it's great to have you here. Hey, Sirka. Well, re- really nice to be here. I probably don't have time is the honest answer, but... Uh... When I looked at some of the luminary members who have been on this, I thought it would be great to come and talk to you guys today. Yeah, yeah, you're you're in great company. Um, listen, we, like we've got so much to talk about here. It's been such a big year for Hotter. Um, can you tell me maybe quickly what were the big standout moments for you over the last twelve to eighteen months? Yeah, so I, I joined the business in uh, March 2019, and uh, so I've been here just over. Two, two years really and uh, we put in a strategy to to digitalize the business and you know over the last 12 to 18 months we've obviously been living through through the covid pandemic so um, I guess we, we've been executing against that initial strategy that we had to digitalize the company and you know hotter was founded in 1959 and was was in effect a direct to consumer business so it sold its products via via catalogs direct to consumers and over the years that expanded into into digital but also uh, through a store portfolio so over the last 12 to 18 months we've been working very hard on accelerating our digital growth but at the same time reinvigorating our brand and reinvigorating our product portfolio. So, so yeah, the, you know, the, the standout elements, uh, yeah, where to start because we, we, we've done so much. But, you know, as, as I sit here today, I think, you know, we're very proud of the way that we've, we've kind of steered the ship through, through the pandemic and, and we're building a much stronger business as we, as we, I was going to say, exiting uh, a lockdown, but with four more weeks to go, I guess. Um, but we, you know, the, the business is in much better shape now than it, than, than it, than it was two and a bit years ago. Yeah. And what, what does the extension of the restrictions mean for you guys? Yeah, I think it is, it, it's just the unknown, isn't it? You know, am I ever going to get out again? Uh, is there going to be any normality? When can I book a holiday? Uh, when can people start and socialize more freely? It has quite an effect on a footwear and an apparel business. So, you know, particularly in our demographic, we're, we're seeing people probably being slightly more scared about the effects of COVID and probably slightly more reticent than you would see in a, in a younger demographic. So, that, you know, that's one element, you know, and particularly in a spring summer season, you know, sandals and summer products per, play such a big part of that. And and that combined with people addressing for events. So the fact that people aren't going to weddings, the fact that people aren't going on cruises and all of these things have a have a suppression of demand for us. So four weeks more uncertainty when we're in the height of summer 
um you know it just has a just has a negative effect on demand but you know we'll we'll deal with it we've dealt with uh, the rest of the things that have been thrown of us this is just one more thing but we could we could perhaps have done without it equally we've got to make sure that everybody's safe so we'll live yeah no and and i think you know hotter you're you're one of the brands that actually i think has has made you know big decisions and hard decisions very early on in the pandemic um, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what, what actually was the story of 2020, 2021, what, you know, how did it unfold for you? The one thing you need in life is luck and timing. And, uh, we had a plan to, to deliver what we delivered pre COVID. So we, we were looking to accelerate our digital program and we were heavily in development of our new website, which is on a uh, headless uh, commerce platform and uh, you know it's cutting edge on uh, websphere version 9 so we had planned to do that over the last 18 months so and we we'd always planned to launch that in June 2020 so at that point we had refocused our brand focusing it back on the core virtues of comfort but at the same time taking away some of the negative connotations about comfort. So people perceive that when you say you are comfortable, you've almost given up. And we've been reappraising and rechanging people's perception of comfort that actually when you are comfortable, that is an enabler for you to do whatever you want to do. So the two things um, coincided along with um, a change in product direction where we started to add much more product differentiation back into the products. So there are specific reasons why our products are the most comfortable that you can buy. It's because of the special nature of their construction. And we spent a lot of time both developing the science and the materials that we put into our products. So those three things combined, a much clearer brand proposition with better products and then the digital journey that we were on going in terms of the web uh, all came together in the spring summer season last year obviously stores locked down in, in in march and therefore we had to really accelerate our digital push because that was the only way for us to trade and we were we are in a fortunate position that we that we manufacture our products so we had manufactured the majority of the season by the time we had to lock down the factory uh, for the for lockdown one. So again, that came together and we, we just accelerated our push digitally. I think at the same time, um, pre-COVID, we'd invested heavily in 3D foot scanning technology, which we rolled out into our stores. Now, Obviously, when the stores are closed, that's not very helpful. Uh, so, you know, immediately as COVID struck, we said, okay, how do we take this technology and how do we build that into an app so that consumers can start and measure, scan their feet in the comfort of their own home? And I think at that time, we then started to think, well, hang on, what else can this app do? So we thought, well, what about trying the shoes on at home with it through augmented reality without 
ever trying the shoes on. And we had many more crazy ideas around that, which we, which are now reality. Last the last couple of weeks, we've launched our updated app, which uh, has our foot scanning technology built into the app, and uh, it has augmented reality, so you can you can literally see what that shoe looks like on your foot without ever physically trying a pair of shoes on. So, I think. We had a to sum a very long answer to a very simple question, but we had a strategy which we executed, but we, it also made us accelerate that for, for for the new digital world in which we operate. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big things that's come out of the pandemic, I think, is is you know the, the migration of older customers in particular onto digital channels. Um, now, I think you know going into um, augmented reality is probably another step again and it's like something out of a sci-fi movie but how do you find your customers have responded to now shopping with you on digital channels yeah i think you know it's the the, the fear of the unknown is always the barrier for for people to step across from one channel to another and i think what we've seen is as the pandemic you know First and foremost, nobody knew how to use Zoom. No one had ever even heard about Zoom, right, before this pandemic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's everybody's favorite word now. And, uh, you know, we're seeing this older generation who are now comfortable with Zoom, they're comfortable with FaceTime. When you look at some of the technology rates of, of, of pickup, they then shop for groceries online for the first time in their life and realize this is not so hard, right? And we've seen a significant transition of customers who shopped historically in retail, who now shop online. And we can see that in, in the data uh, that uh, we work with more too on. And so we can see that transition from retail to digital. So what, what we're working towards is how do we make this whole process completely seamless? So that actually when you go into one of our retail outlets, that it's not necessarily a, a traditional uh, shoe shop as, as you would see it, where you go in, you physically try the products on, the stock is in the store and, and you purchase it there and then take it away with you. You know, the, there are many opportunities for us to continue to digitalize. So in our stores today, we have our foot scanning technology. So we take a 3D scan of your foot, which enables us to be able to recommend and personalize the offer uh, and and of the product, which is exactly right for you. But at the same time, we're now, we're going to trial uh, our first, we call it retail 2.0 store in Solihull at the the end of, of June, beginning of July, where we're going to put some augmented reality into the store as well, so that people can shop using digital screens that they can try the product on their feet again without physically trying the product on. We're going to look at using less inventory in these stores so you can virtually try it on and we can ship it to you for delivery next day. So it's how those two worlds converge. So we've seen huge step forward to digital, but we still think that we can utilize our retail space much more as a, a brand broadcaster and how we can bring digital to reality to to um, get consumers to try the digital options that we have. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so interesting. It really is. I find it. I find it fascinating. I, I find it interesting as well because so much of your 
brand is around you know comfort and you know you know very much so you think harsh when you think you know it's comfort and it's structured and it's you know well made and everything but when you have someone trying on a shoe that they're not actually putting on their foot how do you communicate that kind of message of comfort to them yeah that's a good that's a good question so again in in the retail stores we're, we're looking at how we show showcase materials so that they can see feel and touch understand some of the materials so one idea we have is using some of the sole materials that we use some of our polyurethanes uh, how do we even make the floor of the store out of the same material so you can demonstrably understand what why this is more comfortable uh, so we're working on we're working on a lot of ideas like that i think you know who, who thought you would buy a hundred thousand pound tesla online without going to a showroom before if i said that to you 10 years ago you'd think i was nuts right uh, and, and again why do you have to go into physical store to understand comfort so we are we, we are working through how that we can develop that further and uh, you know we're, go, we're going to keep trial trialing testing get the results see what works and again um just continue to dial in each element of it moving forward i think yeah i think you guys are are particularly good at, at just testing things and trying them um where do you see the future of the store experience going i mean obviously listening to you it's, it's going to be digital it's going to be kind of a hybrid experience but where you know where, where do you think it's going to go yeah so i think all of these worlds are converging you know, so when you see, you know, Amazon of the world and pure play digital guys looking to open stores, but they're opening stores as digital experiences. So then they're not traditional retail bases. And I think that that's I think that's where everybody's going to end up. And, you know, the high street, I think, is going to become much more multifunctional. So where currently, you know, you have large shopping areas and you have cafes and you have restaurants but you know there is the potential to to do more things in the high street and therefore the experience that you have in your store has, has got to be really linked to the brand experience so you know a comfort center a fitting a technical technology center is something what, what we're thinking through you know why, why do we have to be just in traditional high streets you know so we have some partnerships with garden centers. They do phenomenally well, you know, the right demographic. And it's multi, multi-use multi retail, which I think is probably going to become much more prevalent. Mm. You know, you find some of the larger department stores, which have got hairdressers, nail bars, also restaurants. Again, you know, you want to keep those people in those locations for as long as possible and, and therefore you know, potentially for us, is standalone stores the only answer? And the, the answer is no, you know, we're, as I said, garden centers, but there's, there's probably more opportunities that are going to develop themselves. You know, I like one area that I talk about with the team a lot. I, I like those sky, um, where they try and sell you sky television and shopping centers, right? I could sell shoes like that. I've got a 3D scanning technology and I've got augmented reality that could work perfectly. Why not? Why not? And again, we, we work on the principle here that why not? Why, as long as we can test things that are relatively cost-effective, let's test, let's learn, let's see what happens. We don't have to have tomorrow's answers today because nobody has them. 
but what we can do is continue to keep pushing the envelope. It's really easy, I find, to be in, in any position in a company and your stock answer to say, no, that won't work. I think it's it's a cornerstone of what we're trying to do here. It's, it's far easier to say no than yes. Mm. And, you know, we're trying to break down. We're trying to break down the no's. <laughs> That's a good life philosophy to have. <laughs> Um, what when you look to the future for Hotter, what um, what excites you? Well, every, everything excites me actually. So um, I'm really excited with the, our future IPO, right? So you know to to really unlock the value of our consumer base. See, we have an enormously loyal consumer following, and you know, we're making exceptionally comfortable shoes for that consumer offering. Now, moving forward, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit, really. Once we, once we dial our footwear offering, what else could I sell to those people? And what are the other offers that we could potentially make? So I, I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity for us and our, through understanding the consumer better, that we can solve more consumer needs. And that may well be in other categories within footwear, but it may well be in categories outside of footwear. So I think, you know, that's that's hugely exciting for us. And, and the fact of our digital expansion, you know, we continue to drive extraordinary growth in our digital platforms. Uh, but we now have a business which is profitable across all channels. So we rebased our retail portfolio during the summer uh, and that portfolio is now profitable and you know we have a business in the united states which has infinite room for expansion again is profitable so the hard work we've done in restructuring and changing the business models sets us up for the future which i think is really bright yeah it sounds really exciting and as i listen to you it's it's quite yeah it's quite clear that you're kind of you're quite a big picture person, you know, and you're very, you're very passionate about what you do. But I see that recently um, you've spoken about committing a big investment towards your leadership and technical career development. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. And well, I'm a great believer in education. And I'm, I'm also, I was, I've been very fortunate in my career to have worked with some great mentors and work on the premise that if you're smart enough, you're old enough. And giving people a chance and you know we're looking at so the, our factory is a great example right so we we are now rolling out a lean training program to give to give our staff the the, the tools and methodology to drive productivity and anybody who's ever worked in a manufacturing organization knows that the best people to ask what the problems are in the business is go and ask the people on the shop floor. They know exactly what's happening, right? Because there is no PowerPoint. There is no bullshit. <laughs> they, know, they tell you exactly how it is, right? And it's the best source of, the best source of information is always personal reconnaissance, right? Go and see for yourself. And I have got the utmost respect for the people who work in our distribution center and manufacturing facility. You know, during the heights of COVID, when everything was locked down, our distribution center, all the guys and girls were working flat out full time. Once we got to the end of, 
um, lockdown one, we then reopened our facility and we've worked ever since in terms of manufacturing. So, you know, these guys have been working in pretty tough conditions with the risk of COVID and all of those good things. And uh, now we've, we've embarked on our training program. We've got uh, a number of people. We've got nine people doing a yellow belt lean training. And the energy you get from those people is quite contagious. Really? And, and you know, it's really great to talk to them because the passion they have for what they're doing, uh, you can't help but be excited by it. So much so that when when we had uh, a welcome back to the office staff who are, who are now working on a hybrid model here, I took everybody down to the factory and said, why wow, you guys have been working from home, this is what these guys have been doing. And they explained to everyone what projects they were working on to drive productivity in the factory. And I, I think it's just great to see people develop because, you know, if you give people a chance, you'll always be surprised. Mm. You will always be surprised. Someone taught me very early in my career when I was, I, I was given the opportunity. They said, well, here's the opportunity and I'm going to lift this stone uh, and let's pretend you're under it. And there's two things you can do. You can curl back up again and try and get back underneath it. Or you can grow and, and grow towards the sun. And all of these people are just doing phenomenally well, and I'm really proud of them. So now, now we're looking at extending that throughout, through, throughout the organization, throughout functions. And again, you know, it, it just helps morale that we have a very, you know, we have a very flat structure. The, there's, you know, we're not really the command and control type organization. If you've got a great idea, come on, because we're on a we're on a journey to transform this business. And if if you can help us go faster, then be my guest. And so that, that I, I'm really excited about that. I think that's probably linked to quite a lot of my background. I've been lucky enough to be given those opportunities when when perhaps they shouldn't have given them to me. And now you're passing them forward. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah I think so. And was retail always the industry you wanted to work in, or did you kind of fall into it? <laughs> I kind of fell into it. I never wanted to work in retail, <laughs> if you want me honest. Yeah, I've got a quite a, I've got a quite broad background. So I, I the first when I was sixteen, I decided that I was too clever to go to school, <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, that that didn't last for very long, to be perfectly honest. But I I, I ended up working as a as an office junior uh, in a chemical business. And again, I think I said it earlier: luck and timing. You you need a lot of this in life. And uh, I was very fortunate that having been there about six to eight weeks, and the majority of my job was filing yellow copy invoices I re- it's etched in my memory right and we had a filing system that was alphabetical and one which was numerical and for the life of me i could never figure out why we needed both and that was basically my job and i was yeah nearly 17 years old this is back oh man give give the game away but this is 1989 and um i've been there about six weeks and the chairman of the company had been ill and he came back to work and he wanted to know who I was. And I told him, and his first words to me is, why are you not at school? 
And I said, I've dropped out of my A-levels. I'm too clever for school. By the end of the week, I was um, I, I was enrolled in a, what was then called a BTEC ONC in business. And then I stayed with that business for 10 years and I did my ONC, my HNC, my degree, my postgraduate marketing. So I did all of my qualifications. I was a brilliant employer. And, and I basically did an on-the-job MBA in that company. So... I was really lucky that every time I did a different subject at university that they said, okay, well, what are you doing now? Okay, right, you can move to the finance team. Okay. And I think that gave me such a base of knowledge that I can really understand, you know, when the purchase ledger clerk tells me that somebody's given the wrong nominal codes and this is why the accounts don't add up, I got it because I did that job key account management. I've done that job. So I did had really broad base. So I started there in the chemical industry. And then I went to work for uh, Newell, Newell Rubbermaid, which is Newell Brands now, which is one of the largest consumer businesses in the world. It's a 16 billion conglomerate. And I was so fortunate that I worked for some of the best marketeers in the world. I worked with a guy called, uh, three guys who really shaped my career, Joe Galli, uh, Jim and Joe created the DeWalt brand from scratch for Black & Decker and doing a great job at TTI Industries. Uh, a guy called Jim Roberts, who also came from that background. And then probably the biggest mentor in my career is a guy called Carl K. Hoffer, who uh, an Austrian guy, very straight talking, but saw something in me. Uh, and then I progressed. So I uh, I worked for Newell Rubmaid for eight years. I, I, I became vice president of marketing of that business. Then I went to work with Carl within Consumer Durables again uh, for, a, for a brand called Britax makes car seats for kids and did that for, for eight years in, in a private equity environment. I then got into shoes and uh, ran a family business, which was the first time I'd, I'd worked in a family business uh, called Start Right. That must have been quite different for you. Very different, very different, but lots of learnings, you know, and again, always get a different lens on, on life and business from, from, from just doing different environments. So I kind of went from a, where I, I was a baby at 16 through to 26, that phase of my career. Then I went to an American conglomerate where you had to learn how to operate and you had to be able to manage your stakeholders very carefully. Then I went to to a private equity where, you know, just make your numbers and uh, you're invested within within it. And then to a family business where where the, the guys had done a wonderful job over a long period. And but, you, you know, they were almost had to, had to follow that path because they were part of the family. And I, I was, you know, obviously not part of the family. Um, and then I, d- I did three years there. So I enjoyed my time greatly at Star Right. And then uh, then the opportunity came here. So uh, I don't even know how I started this particular rumble or what <laughs> I'm meant to be talking about, to be perfectly honest. But no, no, I remember. No, I, I never wanted to work in retail and I've never, I've never worked in retail. But actually, the, the, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's quite glamorous, isn't it? it's it's quite I'm I'm very fortunate that we do have a store in the city in which I live in Norwich so it's always quite glam to pop in on a Saturday and see what's going on um but no I never had any aspirations to be a retailer and I think it's pretty hard I listened to Daniel Rubin's uh, podcast that you that, that I thought was great and I think that was his advice wasn't it don't 
don't be a retailer. Don't don't be a new retailer. And uh, I can I, I can concur with Daniel's uh, insight. He's been doing a hell of a lot longer than uh, than I have. Yeah, I feel like I should ask that of everyone who I speak to. And I feel like a lot of people are going to say don't. <laughs> That's my advice. Yeah. So, yeah. so actually, if, if you were talking to another brand or to another CEO or even, you know, a family business or a founder who are in retail, they're on direct consumer, what advice would you give them? I, I think what I'd say is don't limit your ambition by you know thinking small no no doesn't help anyone by thinking small mm-hmm. right i think i think you gotta think big and if you again i'm full of these quotes today aren't i if you can if you can say it, you can do it and I, i'm a true believer in that i think that the second one is you've got to you've got to get a decent team around you and you've got to build get the very best people hire the smartest people you can find and don't be threatened by that. Get the smartest people, because otherwise, what do you do? You know, you surround yourself with people who you're comfortable with, but they're not going to push the envelope. And ultimately, all of the stress and pressure uh, kind of heaps on your shoulders, where you want people who want to come in and they want to run with it, who can think. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, particularly in something that's really fast-paced, you have to be a little bit entrepreneurial, but you also have to be quite a logical thinker. Otherwise, you create chaos. So you can be entrepreneurial, but within a framework. And uh, I think that I think that's what I tell people. And you know, if you can't be passionate about it, don't do it because without passion, there's no excellence. And uh, I truly believe that as well. Hmm. I'm really interested that you said that you dropped out of school and then ended up doing you know your degree and your MBA and so on and you're now doing a doctorate I am (laughs) I mean I'm laughing laughing because anybody listening to this particularly my uh, doctoral supervisor will laugh when he (laughs) means doing a doctorate because I I, I kind of not done any for a while so so yeah you know I hey I I really I, I really admire clever people (laughs) <laughs> right. I think I'd love to be clever, right? And uh, I, I, I think there's something of achievement of being able to to do that. Obviously, my surname's Watson, so I'd love to be able to, you know, when people try and be funny and say, "Oh, I assume it's doctor," I'll be able to say, "Yes, it is, actually." It is, yeah. Uh, so you know, that's that's one driver. But you know, the real driver is, you know, being a specialist in something. So I, you know, I'm, I'm working towards it. It's going to take me an awful long time at this rate. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm very interested in 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 learning. So, yeah, and you know, I'm doing a Warwick Business School, which is probably one of the best in the world. Probably shouldn't say the word probably, uh, but it is. You know, it ranks very high in all of the uh, in, in all of the charts. And funnily enough, uh, the dean of Warwick Business School was doing his A levels at exactly the same time as me at the same school. Really? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I. I, I I, I met him at a dinner and we were talking and we were trying to pick each other's accent and it transpired that we, you know, he, we, uh, we ended up being doing our A-levels together. So he did his A-levels and has obviously been extremely successful following an educational path. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have to put some more effort into it, but uh, probably, uh, probably post our flotation, I think at current rates. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's mad, you know, that that he took the kind of the direct, the traditional route. I think you could probably say that you've taken the scenic route. 
Yeah, I'll take an O, yeah. Again, you, you know, would I change the route I took? Um, no, but I think not following a traditional route, you require a little bit more look along the way. Mm -hmm. I've been so fortunate to have some really great mentors and, you, you know, I'll be ever grateful to those guys uh, and ladies. And I think if you if you are educated to a a a standard i think it it holds you in good stead mm -hmm. and you know i'm trying to pass that virtue on to my children with limited results <laughs> so when, when they listen to this they'll they'll know what i'm talking about <laughs> again they'll, they'll find their way and, and uh i think it's important everybody has their own way mm -hmm. accordingly and would that be your advice to your younger self if you go back and talk to yourself? Do you know what? The, the advice to my younger self would uh, stop messing about at school, right? And crack on and and do it traditionally. <laughs> uh, I don't think it'd be as much fun, but um, yeah, I, I would have I would have probably done that. But having said that, I think taking opportunities is the most critical thing and don't think you can't do something just because you don't meet a specific stereotype and I, I i think i probably that's probably me you know that would be i don't know what other advice i'd give myself i don't know <laughs> there's a lot of things but probably not for this podcast <laughs> okay maybe we'll draw the line there <laughs> Um, listen, Ian, I really enjoyed that chat. That was great. Thank you so much. No, great. No, no, you're really welcome. It's been a pleasure talking to you. That was Ian Watson, CEO of Heart of Shoes and soon to be, I'm sure, Dr. Watson. Don't forget to tune in next week when I'll be talking to Nathan Smith. He started off as a financial controller of Rotary Chelsea and worked his way up to take on the role of CEO. In the meantime, of course, you can listen to any of our previous episodes on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care. And bye-bye.